In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast, sponsored by KnowledgeVine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. KnowledgeVine is committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVine, the evolution of human performance. Learn more at KnowledgeVine.com. Today, my guest on the show is Dan Labsack. Dan, did I say that right? Yep. Okay. Yes. All right. And Dan, you are the Global Process Safety Management Lead for Baker Hughes Chemicals, right? Correct. Correct. Wow. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been doing this for almost 40 years now. I started off as uh, corrosion materials, which metallurgical engineer is my degree. So pre-process safety management rule in 1994 in the U.S. anyway. And as a lot of us started off without having a process safety title, but that's what we were doing, didn't know it. And I started off up in Canada, actually, for Dome Petroleum, a mid-sized independent Canadian company. So are you from Canada? No, my wife is. My wife is. Okay. And All right. So I moved up there and then that company got bought out by an American company. So I wound up in Chicago and then down in Houston and then all over after that. So lots of background there, lots of international travel in between. Had a couple of kids as well, and my son's in the oil industry now as well. So. Oh, is that right? How about that? Is he in safety? No, he's in drilling. He's in drilling. Okay, all right. Well, we're in Houston right now, and so I met you at a, it was called Operational Excellence in Oil and Gas Conference a few weeks ago here in Houston, and they actually had a breakout session one afternoon during that three-day conference, and it was specifically on HSE, and you were one of the main speakers on the panel, and I was very impressed with some of the things you had to say, so as soon as you got through with the conference in, I grabbed you and I said, you got to come on my podcast. <laughs> so first of all, I really appreciate you coming on. But let's kind of pick up sort of that conference or that breakout session there. Sure. So first of all, for those that don't know, I just want to kind of set the stage a bit. Process safety versus personal safety. There's a lot of confusion by non-practitioners. So process safety is about the many, if you will. It's engineering safety versus HSC, which typically is personal safety, slips, trips, falls, spills, et cetera, right? So process safety does include those things, if you will, but in a large scale. So a key difference would be a system fails and causes a tank to overflow, which then causes a massive fire or explosion, okay, versus spilling a little bit of oil or chemical somewhere because a drum knocked over. That would be a good example. Okay. So what I was trying to get across the point at the conference was you're never there right? This has been going on. Process safety, as a thought at least, has been going on for hundreds of years. And it started with steam engines. It really got its start. And people don't think of this, but it was quite common when trains, steamships, et cetera, first came into being that the boilers blew up, right? And there was a number of reasons for that. They didn't have safety valves. They didn't have competent operators. They didn't know about water quality. So another key point of process safety, it's not one person, it's a team. One person can't know it all. 
you have engineers, you have chemists, you have process people, you have operators, you have accountants even, all have a role to play in what they do. And some people roll their eyes at the accountants piece, but if the accountants and the purchasing people don't buy the right stuff to put in. That's a great point. That's a great point. I was talking to a safety company and they uh, went up to this contractor and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And they said, why don't you have your gloves on? And they said, well, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And they said, well, what does 10 o'clock in the morning have to do with you not wearing your gloves? They said, well, we, they changed our glove supplier about three weeks ago to try to save money. We got these new gloves. We put them on at 730 in the morning, and two hours later, they're torn up and they're useless. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and so everyone's got a role to play, and it's important that everyone understand what that role is. And even maybe more important is why. Because if you don't let people know why, they're doing the best of their job. Those particular folks were saving money for the company. They were told to save money. They did and defeated a safety device, if you will. And that's another key aspect of process safety. We have layers of mechanical or electronic safety that we want to ensure stop incidents, or at least as a minimum, prevent the escalation of an incident. And inadvertently, it's really easy to shut these things down, turn them down, tune them down, which then can allow major incidents to occur and or escalate. So you have any examples of that? Oh, there's a lot of examples, and I'm going to do one out of the refining industry, which I spent some time in over the years, and, and it was high-temperature piping, just a real technical thing that we do, but you have to have high-chrome piping to resist the high temperatures. And if you look at high-chrome piping, much to everyone's surprise, it rusts just like carbon steel. So if you're looking at rusty steel, you're looking at rusty steel. You don't know what the chrome content is. And in the line that was several thousand feet long, there was one piece of carbon steel pipe in a line that was nine chrome. The nine chrome was just fine. The one piece of carbon steel ruptured and created a massive explosion. All right. And that's just a simple piece, right? If you looked at it, you never would have known. And that's where we come up with the positive material identification. When we put in alloy piping, it's really easy to see stainless steel, right? But there's multiple grades of stainless as well. So you do this positive material identification so that you understand exactly what's in there. And that's just a real simple example. So how do you go from trial and error to not having the errors? Well, so unfortunately, a lot of times we've learned because something went bad. So I'm going to name off some incidents okay. that you may or may not have heard of. So in the 70s and 80s, there were several, and I mean major ones. All the people of our age remember Bhopal, right? And that certainly was horrible. But there was Seveso in Italy. Hyper Alpha in the UK, Flixborough in the UK, the Phillips chemical plant here in Houston blew up. And every one of those resulted in multiple fatalities. And of course, recently we've had Macondo and some others as well. And every one of those came up with recommendations on how to prevent it. All right. In some cases, and in many cases, there were systems that were defeated or were not well-maintained. In other cases, like the one in the uh, refinery in the Northeast, it was a piece of dual certified steel that really didn't meet one of those certifications, yet it had both on there. And so when that failed, it caused a massive explosion. Luckily, no fatalities, but that refinery is now shut down and has been for three years and will never come back on likely. Every time we have these major incidents, the investigations, and now the Chemical Safety Board, which you probably have heard of, right. will go out and investigate and they'd come up with a list of recommendations and they do a great job of digging into that depth of what's wrong, what happened and why did it happen? 
and they'll come up with a list of recommendations. Some of them will get turned into specifications. Some of them get turned into regulations, but they're all readily available in the public. A lot of them are published by API. Right. They get put into codes and standards, and that helps us, gives us those guard, guardrails and guidelines in a go-forward world. And it's important to look at those because, you know, two years ago when oil prices went negative for a short period yeah, of time. Yeah, right. Who would have guessed right? that? You know, obviously the leaders of the company are trying to keep the company alive, so they're cutting costs. And you need to understand what the risks are. And this is the one thing that process safety lives with daily is the risks. Nothing is zero risk. Living has risks. It, sure. So it is how do we minimize those risks? And if we have a number of risks, which one do we prioritize? Because it's sometimes it's really easy to go fix that risk of a guardrail or handrail is loose, for example. And we should fix that, obviously. Maybe we need to replace it because I actually remember one case where there was a fatality associated with something like that. But it's not a massive incident, right? You're not multiple fatalities, millions of dollars lost, et cetera. It is likely to be a small issue. Unfortunately, in this one case, it was a little more. It wound up being a fatality. But yeah. You do need to prioritize, right? Because there's lots of stuff that need to be done on a daily basis in any large plant. Okay. So let me ask you this, and I hate to overuse phrases, but the phrase safety culture, when you go back to what you're talking about, the Macondo and all those sort of things and the investigations, and yeah, okay, maybe we learned some things where we can do this better or whatever, but in a lot of cases, isn't it the fact that the standards were there is just they weren't followed, right? In some cases. I wouldn't even say a lot of cases. Okay. In All some right. cases, that's certainly true. And just so everyone who's not familiar with this can get a feel, there are literally thousands of regulations and recommendations and API codes and standards to look at. It is extremely difficult to follow every single one of them. Some of them are absolutely critical. Others are good guidelines, if you will. So it is difficult to do that. Baker Hughes, you know, as you noticed on the way in here, we've got a poster for everyone to see when you walk in about our safety, right? Everyone to know that. We want everyone to go home exactly the way they came to work, if right, not better. Right. And we do everything that we can to ensure that. The key is with safety culture is it's never done, right? You are always moving in that goalpost. You're always including all of the latest information that you have. And let's not forget, there's a lot of folks, you're in my age, now entering the workforce in this petrochemical space. They don't remember all of these things. I talked to my son about Bhopal here just a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't have a clue what it was. I was young. You know, I wasn't even married at the time. Yeah, right. Right. So he anecdotally knew something big happened, but he really didn't know. And of course, that caused the company to go out of business eventually. Right. And there are a number of companies that have done that even here in Houston. We had one here just two or three years ago. Up in the north of the chemical plant that blew up. That's right. correct. And they right. went out of business. They did. The grinding plant that blew up about a year and a half ago or two years ago, I guess now, same thing. You know, They're out of business. So this is something that is, it's always important. It's not always urgent. And I know that urgent things get people's attention. You know, it's like, I got to go fix this now. I have to go do this now. Where the process safety piece is long periods of time between incidents, right? Many people, even in Houston, won't remember the three incidents we had just a few years ago, the chemical plant, the tank overflow, and the grinding right, uh, and right, welding shop, right. they all blew up within about a year. They did. I should say that the overflow didn't result in an explosion. It was a fire. So three years, two, three years down the road, nobody remembers those, right? It's the practitioners that have that responsibility to keep it in everyone's top of mind so that 
the culture then is, okay, hey, here's something that could happen. So we're going to put systems in place, processes in place, equipment in place to prevent that. And so we use the term people, plant, and process. Okay. All right. So you got the three Ps, right? Okay. People, plant, and process. Well, there you go, folks. That is worth price of admission today. <laughs> and, and just so, again, people understand as well is the operators are absolutely critical to this whole process of process safety. Those are the folks that are touching the valves. They're loading and unloading and transferring. They're adjusting. They're making the chemicals. They're boiling the oil to get your gasoline, whatnot, making plastics. If they make a mistake, and humans make mistakes, absolutely. I don't care how good you are, you make a mistake. We need our systems in place to back them up. Our humans are our first line, always, right? Because they're doing this. But then we need the control systems, the PSVs, the you know overpressure valves, the shutdowns, automated fire systems, et cetera, to back them up. And so how do you manage all that? So I have a team. I have a team. So And you cover the globe. So Baker Hughes, of course, international. So you're everywhere. That's correct. I have been to Angola. I've been to Singapore. And we have vendors. Some of our vendors are in India and we've audited them. So we take this serious. We audit the people who send products to us, you know, for process safety. We have European, various places. We've got a plant in Singapore now. We've got a plant we're building over in Saudi Arabia. I have staff at all of those or will have when they come online. Oh, great. I'm the guy who people who listen to this on a regular basis know I go out there on a limb and unlike the lawyer who's not supposed to ask a question he doesn't know the answer to. So what's your record? How are you doing? So for process safety incidents, and we track these monthly, right? This is all part of our every month of our key performance indicators. We track spills, releases, overdue management of change, because that's a key thing for us is when things change, that puts new risk in. And so we're getting better every month, year over year. Are we there? I'm going to say, no, we're not there because I don't think we're ever there. Are we better than we were last year? Yes. Are we better than we were five years ago? Yes. And we're continuing to move the ball down the pitch as it were for all the European folks <laughs> for watching the <laughs> right, right. soccer. Okay. So that leads me to an important question because that was the thing that caught my attention at the conference that we were talking about when you said we've never arrived. And then what you just said there, all right, we're better than we were last year and we're going to be, I guess my question is, do you have any insight on how do you continue to improve? Again, a lot of this is I go out and look at incidents that have occurred both internally and externally and try and understand, could that have happened here? I'm happy to say in a lot of cases, I would say no. It couldn't have happened here, and here's why. Here's the system we have. Here's the training that we have. Here's the equipment that we have that would prevent that, okay? But sometimes the answer is, yes, that could have happened here. And then we have to look at how are we going to stop it? First of all, just to be honest, we look at what's the risk. And risk is, of course, severity and likelihood, right? So you have a lot of high severity incidents, but very low likelihood, very low frequency. And so you need to understand where do I spend my time and money? Because I may have something of a medium severity, but a much higher likelihood, which gives me a higher risk, okay? It is about managing risk because there is not unlimited funding, unlimited staff, et cetera. So we try and understand what we're doing and what we need to do next. And that's a big part of what we do. One of the things when I came here was my goal, and again, it's a never-ending goal, Sure, is every conversation we have is risk-based. We've made a lot of progress since I've got here. And there's more progress to go. Again, it's one of those things. I know it's a bit frustrating, even to some of our leadership, that we're not there, guys. 
because we're never there. We just need to keep moving. And of course, leadership likes it to be here. We've reached our goal. We're now maintaining. Sorry, that's not how we do it. And that's not how it works in safety. It's not. There's always another thing to do or a better way to do it. And part of what we were talking about at the conference was technology. How does technology help us? And technology is great. I've been around long enough. I remember when cut and paste for a presentation literally was cut and paste. Right, exactly. It was not a computer function. (laughs) Sure. And so, you know, we've come a long way, but that doesn't mean we've always gotten better. It just means we've gotten faster, right? So we need to understand what those issues were. One of the gentlemen at the conference from NASA talked about, you know, the space shuttle issues that they had, the two disasters and the investigations and what they found. And it was a lot of it. And there was another term that he didn't talk about, and that's PowerPoint engineering, right? So what is that? You take a PowerPoint and that's what you run your division, your company, whatever on, rather than fundamentally understanding what went underneath of it. You know, so a PowerPoint slide, even in a relatively simple one, may have hundreds, if not thousands of data points. So a slide with a graph or some graphic may not really fully get across the message because it may be only five of those points are issues. It's not the thousands that are within the norm. It might be the five that aren't that you really need to look at. When computers really got popular, desktop computers, one of my visions for where it should be by today was when I would come in in the morning, I'd start my computer up and it would tell me, here are five things that are outside of norm and you need to deal with. (laughs) And I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) You know, whether it was inspections or maintenance, you name it, right? So since you don't have that, do you do this by constantly meeting with people What's the process for process safety? Well, the key piece of process safety is that it's a contact sport. So yes, the pandemic was difficult for us. Now, the good part about technology is we have teams and all sorts of tools now that we can do. We have uh, cell phones that can take pictures in a plant that's operating, you know, explosion-proof cell phones. It made it better. It absolutely did. But it is still a trained pair of eyes walking through a facility, noting things. And we weren't able to do that for two years, right? To be right. honest. Yeah, uh, exactly. Now, like I say, I've got people at every one of our major plants and at our smaller plants, we have one person for two facilities, right? So they were still getting to those facilities, but I was not able to get there. And Yeah, you weren't able to travel, yeah. Correct. And so it's one of those things where they're having to be my eyes and ears. And I have a team that, of course, varies in age and experience. And some have a lot more experience, some have less, and some have experience in one area, but not another. And one of the things I've been blessed with in my career is I've been a chief inspector, I've been a metallurgical engineer, I've been a coatings engineer, I've been a welding engineer, I've been a lot of things, right? I've been a chief inspector where I would climb up the vessels and, you know, do all the inspections and whatnot. You know, something we didn't talk about was how you got started in that. I mean, you got a degree somewhere? Yeah, I got a degree from Montana Tech. Montana Tech, uh, okay. In Montana, yeah, in metallurgical engineering. And then because I didn't want to be in the oil patch, right? That didn't work out so well. So then I spent the next 35 (laughs) years in the oil patch. But basically, I just did what had to be done. I kind of grew up with this whole process safety as a profession because when we started, I did corrosion, for example, when I started. And I worked with chemical companies like Baker Hughes, where we evaluated different chemicals. And then they needed a hardcore metallurgical engineer, which was my degree. So I got into that. And then we needed a chief inspector because the chief inspector retired and there was nobody. And so I got into that and kind of just a number of different things. Just kind of grew into it as... It it was not a grand plan. (laughs) Well, listen, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show here and talk about this. Before we say goodbye, you got any words of wisdom for us? 
never be happy. Never be happy with your safety statistics. You should always be looking at what lies underneath. And that's a term we use in Baker Hughes. What lies beneath is a whole training program. You see what's up at the top. And if your monthly statistics are all good, you need to dive down to the next level. And in fact, in process safety, what we say is if you're green for four quarters in a row, we're going to quit measuring that and start measuring something else. Good point. There's, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's some illustration that involves an iceberg. Right, right. Yeah, the what lies beneath is an iceberg and you see the top 10%. Right. And you better know what lies beneath. And absolutely. What, okay. Absolutely. Well, there you go, folks. That's worth the price of admission there. Thanks, Dan, again for coming on. And thanks to all of you for listening. And as always, please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or the review link that's in the show notes. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil & Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. KnowledgeVine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting, KnowledgeVine error reduction that works. Discover more about KnowledgeVine by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, or simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.